Welcome to episode 81 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. There's going to be a lot of talk about Khabib, and rightfully so. In the main event against Justin Gaethje, he was able to win uh, in relatively dominant fashion, especially once the fight hit the ground, and was able to lock up an armbar pretty quickly in the first round, ran out of time, uh, but then again was able to get another takedown in the second round, immediately got to mount, and then from there was able to lock up a sort of like a triangle armbar, switch to the triangle, and then was able to choke Gaethje out. So I'll recap that fight, and then talk about a handful of other stuff that is revolving around that fight, including his retirement. Uh, so then talk about what's next for the lightweight division. Briefly mention the scale controversy that came the day before, which I don't think is the biggest of deals, although there there were some good points made about it. Then I'll recap the rest of the UFC 254 card, preview the card coming up that is going to be headlined by Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall. Uh, somewhat ironically, Anderson Silva is calling this his retirement fight in addition to Khabib retiring um, just yesterday. And while I'm talking about the Khabib fight, there are going to be a lot of tie-ins between what happened during Anderson's career during his run and what I saw in that fight against Justin Gaethje for Khabib. Uh, then from there, we'll get to the GOAT conversation in terms of who the greatest of all time is in MMA. Uh, Khabib really felt as though getting that one over Justin Gaethje put him at the top of the list, so I'll talk about where, where I have him ranked and how I feel that should be outlined right now. A few different fights were announced, probably the biggest of the three. That I'm going to be mentioning is the Hamza Shemaya versus Leon Edwards fight, but there are a couple others that were announced that I'll talk about as well. Bellator has a pretty big show coming up. It's going to be Bellator 250, headlined by a main event fight between Gegard Mousasi and Douglas Lima, so they have a couple of their champions fighting each other, which is pretty cool. And then a couple of different stories that are coming out of USA Wrestling that I thought were worth mentioning in terms of what they're doing to handle the coronavirus, both USA Wrestling deciding not to go to the World Championships in December in Serbia, and then also a weird decision by the Michigan High School Association for a rule that they're putting in place. So I'll talk about that last. So back to the top, we have Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. And this is a fight where I feel like there's a couple different ways to break it down. So there's breaking it down from Khabib's standpoint and then breaking it down from Justin Gaethje's standpoint. I guess I'll start with Gaethje. That way I can focus more on Khabib right after. Uh, so for Gaethje, I guess one of the most notable, noticeable things for me in this fight is that a lot of times when you have a fighter and they sort of establish some sort of idea in their mind, like like you'll tell them one thing, but you aren't like meaning it to such a crazy extreme. So to put it in, like, in a different term, imagine I'm like cornering someone in, in jiu-jitsu and I see that they're a little bit tense and I say, hey, relax out there or hey, uh, slow down and breathe. I'm not actually like saying stop what you're doing and just breathe or just like don't put any effort forth at all. Just relax. Like you're, you're just kind of saying like, hey, let's be a little bit more relaxed or let's breathe a little bit more. And when I was watching Justin Gaethje, it was like the thought in his head, and he's mentioned this in previous interviews, is that I can't be up against the fence. I can't be wrestling with Khabib because that's going to be a problem. But it seems as though rather than being like, okay, that's a general guideline to follow, but like, let's be real. If we get in that and get in those positions, we're going to have a plan for it. It seems like he legitimately, legitimately just was like, okay, I genuinely cannot be up against the fence with this guy. I cannot like be in a wrestling situation up against this guy. And as a result, when he was stepping back behind the black lines, he was running away at times. Uh, when he was throwing punches, it's not as though he was setting his feet and taking a risk of being stationary at any point, even when he was throwing punches. Like, he was oftentimes, like, throwing his punches with a leg up in the air. It just didn't look like the Justin Gaethje that we'd seen in the past few fights and didn't seem as though there was any confidence at all from him in terms of being able to stop any kind of takedown. And again, it makes sense that you're fighting against a great wrestler and could be, you don't want to allow him to enter into any of the positions where he's strong. But that being said... You, you can't just take an approach of, like, avoid the fence at all costs to the point where you're running around and to the point where when you're landing punches, your feet aren't on the mat. And even though he landed some hard punches, it's not as though the mechanics were perfectly there for him to get all the power that he could have. 
and, and that was something that Gaethje was doing. And you, you have to credit Khabib Nurmagomedov for putting that fear in him. Uh, and I mentioned while I was running through the topics that there were some similarities to Anderson Silva. It really reminds me with Silva that there were a lot of fighters who would go into a fight with Anderson Silva and they would tell themselves, I cannot strike with Anderson Silva. And as a result, they wouldn't do a good enough job of setting up their takedown attempts if they wanted to take him down. Um, they they just wouldn't give themselves the best chance possible because they were like, just as a general rule, I'm not going to strike with Anderson Silva rather than being like, the less striking I do with Anderson Silva, the better. But if I have to, um, here's what I'm going to do. If I'm within kicking range, here's how I'm going to handle it. If I'm within punching range, here's how I'm going to handle it. Um, maybe only throw one or two strikes at a time so I don't get caught up or don't get countered in the middle of a combination. Like, at least have some guidelines in place. And I felt like for Gaethje, his best bet here would have been to be like, okay, I, I'd prefer to keep it striking, but if we do get into some wrestling situations, like if he shoots on a double leg, here's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to sprawl off of the double. Uh, I know he's going to try to turn the corner, so after I sprawl, I know I'm going to have to shift off at an angle in this way. Like, you you can't just say, hey, don't get involved at all and, like, let that be your game plan. You have to be like, okay, I understand that there's a chance it's going to happen. I'm going to have a, conting a contingency plan for that and be comfortable with my contingency plan. And it really didn't feel like that was the case for Gaethje. And when you look back at Anderson Silva's career, for the guys who were just like, I can't strike with this guy at all, just how tense they would be, they would leave a lot of openings for Silva and make it easier than it otherwise should have been. And the guy who eventually dethroned Silva and Chris Wyman, on paper, he was a guy who was a Division One wrestler, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, had really good guard passing, really strong for mount. You would think on paper, okay, well, he just runs across the octagon, shoots to take down... Um, gets on top, passes to Mount, and then gets a submission for Mount, or gets a TKO for Mount. But that's not what Weidman did to beat Silva. Was, Weidman was like, look, I, I know I'm going to have to strike with Silva to set up my takedowns. And so that's what he did. He actually went out there, he struck with Silva, he, he put himself in a situation that wasn't, wasn't necessarily the best, but he was like, okay, I'm going to strike, but here's the deal. Um, I, I know sometimes he's going to lean back off of the first punch, so maybe I can like double up on the same side. That's the punch that ended up knocking him out the first time. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I it's best not to get into a Muay Thai clinch with Anderson Silva, but if I do... Um, keep my head up to keep him from dragging my head down while his hands are both in front of him trying to control my head. I have openings for hooks, so I'm going to throw hooks really hard and try to break the clinch that way. Like, he, he had contingency plans for different positions that other people just try to avoid entirely, and as a result, he actually did pretty well in those positions before eventually getting the wins. And I feel like when you're fighting Khabib, it's the same idea where it's like, you obviously you don't want to be in wrestling positions with Khabib, but you have to understand that there's a very high likelihood that you're going to get in those positions, and you have to have some contingency plans for those positions. And it really felt like Justin Gaethje, maybe he did have contingency plans and he just wasn't confident in them, but it seemed like for him it was just so over the top about not being put up against the fence, uh, not allowing Khabib to shoot in on him, that it really took away from his ability to, to land the, the best shots that he could have landed. And even though he did land some nice left hooks, even though he did land some decent right hands, it seemed as though on the upper body you saw a lot of effort being put out when he threw those punches, but on the lower body it, was, it, it wasn't like he was driving off the mat and like driving through his shots. A lot of times he was like, off of one foot, one foot was in the air. Um, he was sort of like leaning in a different direction or trying to escape. Like he throw the punch as he's backing up. And, and as a result, even though he did land some nice shots, part of it is that Khabib does have a great chin, but part of it is that the mechanics weren't perfectly there, especially with the lower body from Gagey. So what he needed to win was he needed to land some heavy shots. But when he was landing his shots, his feet weren't set because he was so afraid of getting in a position where he could be taken down that it, it sort of worked against him. And then obviously once the fight hit the mat, I was a little bit worried about this when I was watching the, the countdown show for Gaethje in that his preparation for Khabib was mostly having a D1 wrestler wrestle him up against the wall and then working to get back up. And every time he'd get taken down, he would sort of give up his back. Which, I mean, sometimes it can work, sometimes it can't, but you have to be explosive about it if you're going to do that. Um, but the guy he was training with wasn't 
trying to control him like Khabib would. Khabib isn't going to try to control you like a D1 wrestler where he's just like trying to ride you and control you from top of turtle. Like he's going to try to take your back. He's going to try to get both hooks in. Um, he's constantly trying to attack your different posts with your arms. Um, he'll use his legs to attack your legs and try to break your base down that way as well. And the guy he was training with wasn't giving that kind of a look. And again, they're they're just showing a quick little highlight that's being put in a larger video. But it's like if that's what Gaethje is doing to prepare for Khabib, uh, that's not necessarily the smartest thing. Um, but anyway, when he gets taken down in the first round, it seems like he knew it was late in the round. So he's like, yeah, whatever. I just need to survive here. Don't waste too much energy. It sort of was like same idea as Connor, except for Connor, he did a relatively okay job of maintaining a guard, whereas Gaethje didn't even really try. He just kind of laid there. And as a result, Khabib was easily able to pass, uh, had a nice little hip switch, and then went into like a BJ Penn pass to get to mount. From there, jumped on an armbar. Gaethje just kind of like held his arm in tight. It looked like a bicep slicer was getting a little bit close at the end of the round, but either way, he had enough time where he could hang on from there. But then again in the second round, gets taken down, immediately turns his back, uh, doesn't really explode right into it. Khabib just immediately jumps and gets both hooks, which again isn't something that normally happens with a D1 wrestler. That's more of someone who's like more of a pure grappler. And again, I don't know if that's what Gaethje was preparing for, if he was expecting the guy to just kind of like hang on to the side and then just try to like drag him down and keep him down, or whether he was actually expecting someone to jump on his back and sink in both hooks and start looking for chokes. But either way, Gaethje, or either way Khabib does that. Uh, Gaethje rolls through, ends up in bottom of a mount. And again, it was just kind of bizarre what Gaethje was doing off his back. I don't know what his plan was at that point. Obviously, it's early in the round. You actually do have to fight a lot harder at that point. But Khabib stuffs the hand through. Uh, then sort of goes into a mounted triangle. From the mounted triangle, it looks like he was then um, sort of sliding off and going towards an armbar. And then as Gaethje went up, since the leg was already in position for a triangle, he just switched back from the armbar to a triangle. Uh, did a really good job of hooking underneath the leg. Uh, got a really nice angle on it. And then from there, it's like, yeah, this triangle's really tight. He's going to get the finish. Gaethje taps. The ref somehow misses it. Um, Gaethje goes to sleep. Ref finally sees it. Khabib tells him. Um, and Khabib gets the win. So for Justin Gaethje... Really showed a big hole in his jiu-jitsu game. With that being said, in order to make him pay for that, you're going to have to be able to take him down in the first place. There are not a ton of fighters in lightweight division who can do that. So while we saw a very big hole there, and we saw that he probably hasn't been doing nearly enough training in jiu-jitsu over the course of his career, it's not as though like if he fights Conor McGregor, that McGregor is going to take him down, pass his guard, and do the same thing. Um, and, you, and you could list off a bunch of other guys where it's the same thing. So it's definitely a hole there. Maybe he finally decides to put some time into it, but I don't know that there are a ton of guys where he's going to have to. Michael Chandler would be an interesting matchup uh, in that regard. In that regard, maybe that's the matchup we get next, but it's hard to say. As for Khabib, he gets the win there. Um, I think it's very emotional with this being his first fight without his dad, um, without his dad alive. Uh, and then from there, you can kind of tell, even before John Anik got there to interview him, you can kind of tell that the energy was that he was probably going to retire. Uh, it looked like a really big emotional release was taking his gloves off, which is generally a sign. Uh, unless they, someone broke their hand, usually that's seems to be a sign that they're about to like take their gloves off and leave him in the octagon. Uh, and then gives his post-fight interview and says pretty much the same thing, that, yeah, this, this is going to be it for me. Explains in more detail that he his mom didn't really want him to fight again. He said, look, I already, I've already got this fight with Gaethje. Like, I'll, I'll take this fight, but then I promise you I'm going to retire. There are a lot of retirements in the MMA space. A lot of them don't really mean a whole lot because a lot of times people end up going back on it and they come back at some point. So it's hard to say whether or not I believe Khabib in this. I feel like Khabib was very sincere in the moment uh, and that he meant to retire. He's talked about retirement for a while. He's talked about how he was two fights away from retiring for a while, that he wanted to end at 30-0. So for him to cut it short at 29-0, it's not as though that's way off of what he had said in the past. So the story seems consistent. He is 32 years old, so it's not as though 
he couldn't be gone for two years and then come back at 34 and still be in his relative athletic prime. Um, but it does seem like he he pretty much means it. He means it right now that he's going to be retired, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. But if that's what makes him happy, I guess for him, he's got a lot of people who are behind him, um, a lot of attention on him. He's become a global superstar. There's a lot of stress in the game as it is. We remember with Anderson Silva when he eventually lost the title, he said that he was sort of relieved to not have to have that pressure of being a champion anymore. So you have that pressure of being a champion. Uh, you have your dad just passing away, who was the person who got you into combat sports in the first place. You, you know, maybe maybe he really means him. This is going to be it for him. But as far as his performance goes, um, coming out there, did a decent job of taking center. Uh, didn't get pushed back by Gaethje at any point, which definitely can't happen, especially if Gaethje stings you pretty hard. He did take a couple of those shots. Now, as I mentioned, Gaethje didn't have all the mechanics there in that like his his feet were oftentimes not where they needed to be to get the maximum power on those punches but they were they were still hard punches and could be bait them as he's eaten some really hard punches in the past as well and continued to move forward uh did a really good job of pressuring didn't really need to use the fence for for takedowns in this fight was actually able to take Gaethje down in open space which was pretty impressive um the second takedown i know he timed right off right off of a leg kick where Gaethje landed a leg kick and then he grabbed the leg as he was coming in shot a double leg and then cut the corner off of that, took the back, and then from there was able to, to end up getting to mount and eventually got the finish. The, the first takedown, I think, was also timed off of a leg kick as well in space, but again, shot a double leg and was able to take Gaethje down immediately off of that first shot and was able to just dominate from top. Uh, and, and again, that's not really new for Khabib. We, we've always seen him be very successful at being able to pass guard. The, the one thing that I've talked about Khabib in the past where I felt like his biggest hole was is that for as good as he is at getting guys down and as good as he is at passing guard and getting into dominant positions, that he had trouble in the past where he'd get to someone's back, but then he'd lose the position. He'd get to someone, he'd mount someone, he'd lose, he'd lose, he would lose the position. And so there's a lot of energy expended to get someone down in the first place, to get to those positions in the first place. And if you're not able to finish, especially in MMA where these are five-minute rounds and you go back to the feet and striking isn't his specialty, that you're giving guys multiple chances to come back and eventually land a shot on you that otherwise maybe they shouldn't have where... If you're able to take him down and just dominate the entire round and get a finish before the round ends, that's definitely going to work in your favor. And in the past few fights, he's looked a little better about that. Now, granted, with the Connor fight, uh, Connor was taken down pretty much every round, I think, except for the third. And the fourth round, he got finished, but the first couple of rounds, he was able to survive there. Now, part of that is that he was just stalling the entire first round. Uh, but even in the second round, that was the case. Uh, in the fight against Poirier, he had Poirier in some really bad spots early. Um, and took until a later round for him to get the finish there. Uh, had to survive a guillotine attempt and had to survive a pretty hard shot in the second round before then. But with Gaethje, and I, I would definitely say in this case, Gaethje's jiu-jitsu is nowhere near the same level of Conor McGregor, who's been a brown belt for a little while and is probably bordering on that black belt level. And the Dustin Poirier, who's a black belt himself. Um, with, with Gaethje, there was a lot less resistance. And so Khabib, both in tactic, wasn't choosing to spend a bunch of time here ground and pound and just kind of wear on Gaethje but then also um, having an opponent who was giving more openings he was able to attack immediately um, right after getting a takedown in the first round was able to immediately get a submission attempt going and one where I think if he had more time he might have been able to get a finish and then in the second round again gets to the mount and then immediately attacks with a submission and actually does get the finish there uh, there's some talk where it's like well look how good Khabib is off his back I mean he finished the submission off his back but it wasn't initiated off his back so it's not like I'm ripping on Khabib there I just think that I think people are giving a little... They're wrongly attributing credit there. If, if you land a mounted triangle and you finish it on your back, it's not as though you like caught someone off, off of your back. You finished it off your back, but you you set it up on top. Um, but that was just something that people were saying, so I wanted to 
clear that up. Not not to, it's not meant to be a knock on Khabib. I'm sure Khabib can fight pretty well off his back, but it's not like Gaethje put him on his back there, and then we had to like find out how Khabib could fight out of his guard. Um, now, one thing I do think is pretty interesting about Khabib deciding to jump for that armbar and then jump for the triangle the second time is that mounted armbars and mounted triangles aren't bad submissions, but they're not super common submissions in MMA, and the reason why they're not common is because if you miss them, you're oftentimes going from a very dominant position in mount to being in a position that is not very good in MMA, which is on your back. And so even if these were positions where like half the time someone tried it, they were able to get a tap, which is a lot, which is a high percentage move, that still means that half the time that you try it, you're ending up on bottom and in a bad position. And that's why, for the most part, when someone gets a mount in MMA, they're more looking for ground and pound, they're more looking for an arm triangle, where if you miss an arm triangle, you're still on top and still in a dominant position. Um, but the risk involved in going for an armbar or going from a triangle from mount is, is such that a lot of times people don't feel comfortable with it. So for Khabib to take that risk twice with a guy in Justin Gaethje who's a D1 All-American wrestler and who, I mean, has slams from top. We've seen like in some in some of his earlier fights, but you'd imagine he's a strong guy. He could probably land some good ground and pound from there too. I found that to be pretty interesting that Khabib not only made that decision at the end of the first round, which is one thing where it's like hey, you only have to survive for like five or ten seconds, but made it early in the second round as well. I really found it interesting that Khabib was so confident in his triangle slash armbar attack from top that he was willing to take that risk. And I guess the first first round, he could have been like, okay, well, it, it could be a calculated risk, but if I mess up, I've got like five seconds left, I'll be okay. Maybe he felt like, hey, just Gaethje is not defending this well at all. Like, if I go for it again early in the second, I'm going to catch it, I'm going to finish it. Uh, but whatever the case may be, he was able to catch it. Uh, initially looked like he was going for an armbar, and then as Gaethje turned in, uh, turned right into the triangle, uh, cinched it up, did a good job of cutting the angle on it, uh, did a good job of hooking the leg so Gaethje couldn't slam out of it, and then was able to get the tap, and then the ultimate finish there when Herzog finally realized that Gaethje was choked out. So, it's a great performance from Khabib. Uh, it, it's kind of... It, it's tough for me with his retirement in that, in MMA, fans really enjoy the, the puzzles that are involved in MMA. They, they like how the different styles overlap. Anytime you see someone dominant, you want to see, you want to imagine what the worst possible matchup for them is, and you want to see them have to face that. And whether they beat it or whether it beats them, you, you, you kind of want to see that. And I think with Khabib being twenty nine and zero, even if you like Khabib as a fighter, there's there's that side where it's like you want to see what kind of style it's going to take to beat him. So for him to retire at thirty two years old is a little bit unfortunate. Um, there were some styles that he never faced, uh, so he never faced the guy who's like an absolute killer off of his back. And then had to just survive through that or decide to stand up. So the, the Charles Oliveira, the Brian Ortega type, I think that was a, a style matchup people wanted to see that we're assuming that he doesn't ever come back, that he's not that we're not going to get. Uh, we didn't see the matchup with the guy who also plays the same type of game as Khabib, where they like to take guys down, they like to control guys, uh, to see if he could beat them at their own game or whether he would be able to survive at, the, at that game. Maybe he actually does catch them in a submission from his guard. Um, so at a time, people thought that, that might have been Ben Askren. Um, GSP was the guy who people were thinking about in that same way where it's like, well, what if GSP just like jabs and then double legs and gets on top and then all of a sudden Khabib's got to fight off his back against GSP. I think that was a style matchup people wanted to see. Uh, but the other style matchup that people wanted to see was the guy who was a striker who had really good wrestling uh, who could keep Khabib from taking him down. And that was supposed to be Justin Gaethje. And again, to Khabib's credit, Gaethje didn't quite fight like he had in the past because of how much respect he had for Khabib and Khabib's wrestling. Um, so at least for Khabib, he does get that matchup where it's against the really good wrestler with the good striking, um, and, and he does the pass that test. You can argue that, yeah, Gaethje on paper um, should have been a harder matchup than he ended up being, but Gaethje didn't fight as well as he could have, or he didn't fight up to his capabilities, but again, that's because of what Khabib did. 
So if Khabib does retire right now and he never comes back again, at least checking that off is it, it, it's a big thing for him. Again, I'd like to see him fight against a guy who is going to try to take him down. I'd like to see him fight against a guy who is just an absolute murderer off their back. Um, either to see him just like tear through their guard and just have no problem at all. Uh, sort of like Frankie Edgar did with Charles Oliveira early in Oliveira's career. Um, or, I guess in the case of Brian Ortega, that'd be a, another story where that'd be interesting to watch. Although Ortega is a weight class down, but that would still be a matchup that people would have liked to have seen. Um, but if, if we don't get it, I, I don't know you can really hold that against Khabib. Khabib was in the game for a while. Um, we didn't really expect to see him fight anyone else other than maybe GSP, but even still. That GSP fight's a weird one in that even if Khabib beats GSP... What does it mean for him to get a win over GSP three years after he retired for like the third time uh, when he's almost 40 years old? Like, if GSP, if, if an old out of his prime GSP beats Khabib in his prime, then it cements GSP as the greatest of all time. But if Khabib in his prime beats an out of prime GSP, even if it's in a dominant fashion, like some people might still be like, yeah, but uh, if this was five years earlier, uh, that GSP maybe wins. Uh, so for Khabib. Fighting, it, it, it's tough. I, I think if Khabib does earn that number one overall spot now and people give it to him, then for GSP, maybe he'd he'd feel the need to really fight against Khabib, but I, I, I just feel like at this point, Khabib's done enough. You, you can always say that there's more that you would have liked to have seen from him, but I think at this point, if he wants to retire at this point, you, you can't say, oh, he's ducking this guy or he's ducking that guy or lucky him, he got away with not having to face this type of a guy. I think in crossing off Justin Gaethje in his last fight, he did a really, a really big service for his career. Uh, so you have to give him credit for that. Uh, so it, assuming that he is retiring, which, again, it seems as though he's pretty sincere, the UFC lightweight division is going to have to move on. Now, he did have a similar situation happen earlier this year with Henry Cejudo, where he beats Dominic Cruz. Um, had made some brief mentions of retirement beforehand, but no one really expected it to be that exact fight. Uh, then retires that exact fight. And then right away... Within, I think, within less than eight weeks, they have the Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo fight. That fight happens, Peter Jan wins, and now Jan's the new champion. Uh, so then now the question becomes, are they going to do a similar thing here with Khabib? Um, are they going to give him some time where it's like, hey, did you really mean that? I think even if they give him three or four weeks, I'm sure it could be within the next three or four weeks, he's still going to hold strong to what he said. Even if he does come back, if anything, by him relinquishing the lightweight title, that might actually make more sense for the GSP fight now. Whereas if, if he's still the champion and he's still on the UFC roster uh, as an active fighter right now, and then he wants to fight GSP, you kind of have to make it for the 155 title. Um, but if he's not the 155 champion and you want to make it like at a 165 catch weight, uh, it actually makes more sense now than if Khabib's the 155-pound champion. Because then if GSP wins at a 165-pound catch weight versus Khabib, like, do you have to run it back again at 155 so GSP can win a third weight, or a third title in a third weight class? Um so not having that involved, I think, actually makes that fight make a little bit more sense. But again, Khabib's willingness to fight is the big holdup here. It's not as though like the weight class was a bigger holdup of the two. Um, but either way, if Khabib's out of the picture, it leaves lightweight with a few different guys who potentially could fight for a title. So one person with an argument would be Justin Gaethje in that he was the interim champion, um, is ranked the highest of the remaining guys left. So it would seem to make sense to put him in, for, in, in the title. Uh, what's working against him is that he is currently on a losing streak, even if it's a losing streak of one, and was finished in that loss. Uh, you have Conor McGregor, who is on a winning streak of one over Cowboy Cerrone, who um, that win looked a little bit better in the rankings back in January than it does right now. But even still, he's on a winning streak of one, former champion. Uh, from a business standpoint, he's going to bring the most attention to that title fight. Uh, so if he wins the title, then you've got a superstar champion at lightweight. If he loses that fight, 
Uh, it seems like everyone who beats Connor gets a huge rub off of him. Kobe became a superstar after beating Connor uh, when he wasn't really the biggest name before then and had to win a ton of fights before he got to a title fight for that reason. Um, yeah, Nate Diaz, again, one of those guys that the hardcore fans like but wasn't really well known beyond that because the winner of Conor McGregor becomes a superstar. Uh, so if you put Conor McGregor in a title fight right now and he wins, okay, you have Conor McGregor, the superstar, as the champion. If Conor McGregor loses, then the guy who beats him is able to get some rub off of him. Uh, so that would be the argument for Conor, and that is that he's coming off of a win streak, and from a business standpoint, no one makes more sense from a business standpoint to put him there other than Conor right now. Uh, then you have Dustin Poirier. Uh, he is coming off of a win right now over Dan Hooker. He was supposed to be fighting with Conor. That fight never officially got signed. Uh, maybe they still go through with that fight. Maybe they don't. Uh, but his case would be that he's coming off of a win right now. He has a win over Gaethje, uh, who some people would argue deserves to be in there for a title fight right now. Um, so that that also works in his favor. Working against him is that he also had a recent loss to Khabib, uh, and that's fresh in people's minds. And I guess for the UFC, what, what makes it tough is that you want the idea to be that your champion is the best guy walking the planet at that weight class. Then when you have a dominant champion retire, it makes it tough. At least at Bantamweight, they had a guy in Peter Yan, and I guess in Jose Aldo, too, both guys who hadn't fought Henry Cejudo, where whoever wins that fight, you could argue, okay, well, maybe they style-wise, they could make for tough matchups. Um, Aldo's a tough guy to take down, so then Cejudo's probably got to strike with Aldo. Then you could maybe argue, in theory, that Aldo beats Cejudo on the feet. Peter Yan, same type of idea, really great striker, hard to take down, so you could make a similar argument. Uh, whereas in this case, a lot of the top guys in the division have already fought against Khabib, and they lost pretty dominantly. Uh, so you know that whoever gets matched up, there's a very strong chance that they're, they're a guy who's already been finished by Khabib. So it's like, yeah, like we know that in, in theory these guys are the champion, but you kind of like know in the back of your head they're really not the best guy. Uh, and there's really not an argument you can make for how they're going to beat Khabib uh, if that fight ever were to happen. But I guess in theory that could work against Dustin. Um, but again, working in Dustin's favor also is that if you're going to, if Connor makes the most business sense, um, that Connor versus Dustin fight seemed to make sense in the first place anyway, and they were about to make that, so maybe then he can hitch his hitch his wagon to Connor and get his way in. Uh, you have Tony Ferguson, who makes sense because he was on an incredibly long win streak at lightweight, was dominant for all these years. Uh, the one loss he had was against Gaethje, which, yes, he is coming off of a loss right now, which could hurt. If Gaethje gets slotted in, does it make the most sense to run that back right now? That could be tough for him as well. But the win streak he had prior to that definitely deserves credit. Um, the fact that he was finished hurts him, though, against Gaethje. But on the other end of the picture, he was supposed to fight against um, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Khabib and Gaethje are different fighters, took that fight on short notice um, and wasn't able to make the proper adjustments in, in the short period of time he had to prepare for it. Also did that weird thing where he cut weight twice within a few weeks of each other as well. So on a merit standpoint, I think it's, I, I think I would not be upset if he gets it, but I don't know if he's going to be looked at as one of those guys right now. Uh, you have Michael Chandler, who is the backup here. Um, as far as wins go, I mean, he had that win over Ben Henderson, but it's not as though win over Ben Henderson in 2020 uh, lines you up for a lightweight title shot, but the UFC is paying him a good amount of money, so maybe they're thinking, hey, um, this is an opportunity for him. He's essentially free right now. He doesn't have any other fights that he's booked for, and if the UFC wants to turn this around on short order, where they're doing it in six to eight weeks, he's going to be available, so that works out for him as well. Uh, you could talk about Charles Oliveira. It feels like he's got to win one fight against one of those top five guys before they're ready to start talking about him for a title fight um but you could argue that he's floating around there as well uh so as far as what i think the ufc is going to do um that's where it gets tough because in theory if you look at the next couple of pay-per-views i don't think they're going to do this in november which is going to be in four weeks 
Uh, so they would probably either do this in 2020, which in theory it could just line up perfectly with that Connor versus Dustin date. We're like, okay, we're just going to make this for the interim title. We're already talking about this fight. Uh, timing seems to make sense. Or they could look at that fight that's going to be in December, which is headlined um, by Nunes versus Anderson, and they also have the Bantamweight title fight on there. Now, last year when they did this fight card, they had three title fights on it, including the Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm fight. So they had Usman versus Covington on it. They had Holloway versus Volkanovski. And then they had Holm versus Nunes. So this year they're doing that same type of card, but they only have two title fights on it right now. If they put a third title fight on it, and that being the lightweight title fight, it would sort of put it right in line with the December card they had last year. So I think that could make sense. So even though they are saying that that card's finalized, they've got their headliner and co-headliner, it doesn't seem impossible to me, or even super-duper unlikely to me, that they could put a third title fight on that card. So timing-wise, they're either going to look in that six- to eight-week time frame, which is mostly a time frame that Justin Gaethje brought into the conversation. This isn't something that Dana said. Dana didn't say we're looking to get this done in six to eight weeks. Uh, Hunter didn't say it. it. It was Gaethje who said it, while also saying that he wanted to put himself in there. So it's not as though he's necessarily... that the UFC is necessarily going to do this in December. If they do it in December, it could make sense for them to slide up Conor McGregor. Conor was saying that he wanted to fight in 2020, and the UFC is like, no, we can't make it work. Um, does this change anything where now they actually can make it work? I don't know. Um, but to me, if they're going to do it in December, it seems like there's a decent chance Gaethje gets in there. If Gaethje is one of the guys who's in there, then again, that seems as though... Tony Ferguson probably is out of it at that point. Um, Dustin Poirier, that fight could make sense in that Poirier versus Gaethje. There, there's that argument for Poirier because he did get the win before. And it's like, okay, well, this is going to be the rematch. It was a great fight in the first place. Um, Gaethje has his argument for why it's going to be different this time. But it just seems like to me, if you're t- if you're stealing someone out of the Gaethje versus, or if you're stealing someone out of the Poirier versus Connor fight, to put in a title fight, the UFC is going to take Conor out and put him in the title fight faster than they would with Dustin Poirier. So I don't, I don't know that Poirier versus Gaethje is going to be a fight that they would make in December unless they get to the point where they're they're negotiating for money. Conor's asking for too much, and he just negotiates himself out of a fight. So I don't think that's the fight they're going to make. Um, would they put Michael Chandler in there in December and then still run that Gaethje ver- or run that Poirier versus Conor fight in January? I have a hard time with that. I feel like Chandler, now that he is not getting that title fight um, that he possibly could have had yesterday, I think at this point he's going to have to fight a contender. Um, So I don't think he's going to get a title fight right away. So to me, it seems like if they're going to make a fight in December, they're going to be able to pull Conor forward, and it's going to be Conor versus Gaethje. If they don't make Conor versus Gaethje in December, I think they're probably going to keep Conor versus Dustin. Uh, At that point, maybe you do Gaethje versus uh, Michael Chandler. And then you could do Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. That that could be how it lines up. Uh, but then from there, you'd probably have Conor versus Poirier for the belt. And at that point, maybe the hope for the UFC is that if Conor wins in the rematch, that maybe he actually defends the belt once or twice. Uh, you, you know how Conor is, even right now, where he's like showing videos of him landing illegal knees on Kareem Nurmagomedov and talking about how he won like three rounds in that fight and how he thinks he was doing so much better than he actually was. Maybe Connor could like be annoying to the point where Khabib's like, you know what, like fuck it, I'm coming back. I'm just gonna beat the shit out of Connor and like shut him up for good. Uh, so maybe that's a long term plan for them. Uh, but it seems like to me, Connor's most likely going to end up in the next title fight just from a business standpoint. Um, it it kind of goes back to that same issue they had before, though, in terms of where they're gonna do it, how they want to have a full crowd. 
Uh, so for that reason, I don't think they're going to slide it up onto that year-end card in December. I think they're going to probably just throw a belt on top of that Conor versus Justin fight, assuming that they agree to terms on that fight. Uh, and that's going to be where the lightweight division moves forward from there. Last thing to talk about on that main event was the scale controversy with Khabib. So apparently when Khabib weighed in, he looked as though he was very thankful to make the weight. Uh, looked like he had a hard time making the weight. Um, and while the scale was setting, it didn't seem as though it ever fully settled. And they were like, okay, cool, you made it. And that that definitely did seem a little bit odd to me. I, I don't know what weight, con- or weight, what weight Khabib actually was at when he was on the scale. Apparently when they're in the back, they, they weigh him first in the back and then they go onto the official scale. Now with that being said, I, I think in general they use these official scales... Uh, these official manual scales with the actual with the drop weights on them because those are supposed to be the most accurate. And with that being said, they're supposed to like actually wait for the weight to settle so they know what the number is. And it doesn't seem like they did that with Khabib. Uh, there was a point made by John Kavanaugh, which is Connor's coach, saying that would make more sense, especially nowadays, if they just had like a digital scale that they were on and there was a big display behind them so everyone could see what was on the scale. So you step on the scale, let's say you're at like 155.2. Um, that the inspector could actually see 155.2, but then also on the big screen behind, everyone watching could also see what the inspector sees at 155.2, so everyone would know. Uh, so they just felt like there was an issue where it could have been more, a little more transparent. Is it possible that Gaethje, or that could be was a little bit overweight there? Yes. Um, if he was, it probably wasn't by a whole lot. Uh, he probably could have gone back and made it. It's not as though an extra two-tenths of a pound or whatever it was made an effect in the fight. Now, with that being said, if you're contracted for 155 pounds, you're supposed to actually make the weight. If he didn't, and... They just slid by. That's that's a little bit sketchy, but to me, it's not the biggest detail. Um, you would like for them to be a little bit more more forward about this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it shouldn't have been as it shouldn't have been as subjective as it as it appeared to be. But it, it doesn't really change my mind on Khabib in terms of how I see him as a fighter or in terms of how I see this fight. It's not as though it tarnishes the win in any way for, to me. Uh, but I still feel like that was significant enough where it was worth mentioning. So back to the card. On the coming event, we had a really big fight at middleweight between Robert Whitaker and Jader Cannonier. And Whitaker was able to keep out of trouble for the most part with Cannonier. did eat some heavy leg kicks, but the punches he was able to get out of the way for the most part. Um, had a really big moment, I believe it was in the second round, where he landed that patented high kick on the same side of a punch that he throws. So he's really good at, if he'll throw a punch on the left side, they'll throw the left punch and then follow up with a left kick immediately. Uh, or in this case, when he throws a, a right hand, that'll throw a right kick on the, uh, that'll follow up with as well. And why that's that why that works so well is that typically if you throw a left hand, um, someone's going to try to slip to the outside of that, which would then slip directly into the left kick if you're throwing it at the same time. Um, so he's good at getting guys to slip away from the punch, then slip right into a kick. Uh, he did that with Cannonier. Cannonier hurt, got on top of him. Um, looked as though he was more just trying to kill the clock at that point. I'm sure he was aware that Cannonier was very dangerous on the feet. Uh, so it, was, it seemed like rather than like opening up too much and creating any openings for Cannonier to get, to get back up, he just wanted to control uh, and, and win the minutes. Uh, to ultimately get his way to the finish if he wasn't able to put him out of there for good. Uh, so Whitaker gets the win here, ends up being by a unanimous decision, 29-28 in all three judges' scorecards. I think the first round would have been the one that went to Cannonier. Uh Now what's interesting to me about this fight is that had Cannonier won, it was pretty clear that he was going to get the title fight against Israel Adesanya. Now that Robert Whitaker won, it's pretty clear that he is the top contender in the division. But this reminds me of a situation that happened with... Robbie Lawler, after he lost to Tyron Woodley, he then came back and won against Donald Cerrone. And a lot of the people in the media were like, okay, well, it seems pretty obvious. Like, you have a great case to earn the title fight. Do you want the title fight? And that question was asked of of Robbie Lawler at the time, and he was like, eh, I mean, it's whatever. Like, 
at a time where it would have made sense for him to be like, absolutely, I want that fight back. I Put me in this all fight right now. Like, I've earned it. I want to be champion. At, at the time, he could have said that. He's like, eh, it's whatever. Like, I'm fine. And he didn't get the title fight, obviously. In this case, Robert Whitaker, again, he's asked, okay, well, it looks like you've earned yourself a title fight. You just be the top contender. Um, would you like to get back in there with Izzy? And rather than be like, yes, I want to get my title back. Uh, I, I think I could beat Izzy. Like, let's run it back. He, again, he was sort of noncommittal about it, which really is, is a red flag to me. Uh, it seems like a lack of confidence from 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 Robert Whitaker for that title fight. And again, if he's not excited about that fight, then why as a fan should I be excited about that fight? But if he's not going to take the title fight, which again, it's not as though he's been offered it yet. If Whitaker doesn't take the title fight, then it's like, okay, what's next for Israel Adesanya at this point? He has been talking shit with a lot of lightweights or light heavyweights. Uh, he's talking shit with John Jones. It seems as though if he's going to fight John Jones, it should be before Jones puts on enough muscle where he's not coming back down to 205. Uh, so maybe that sort of puts it at right around now. Now, with that being said, Israel has his own timeline, which says he doesn't want to fight John Jones until later next year. Uh, so does he bump that forward just because he's been talking so much shit to Jones? Or does he stay at middleweight? And if he stays at middleweight, then who is he going to be fighting at this point? There's the Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson fight that's coming up. Uh, does he fight the winner of that? If he does and Darren Till wins, then why are you fighting Darren Till when the guy who just beat Darren Till is still out there in Robert Ortiker? Uh If Jack Hermanson wins, then why are you... I mean, I guess Jack Hermanson at least would be coming off a win there, but he had the recent loss to Karen Anir. But you can't fight Karen Anir right now because he just lost to Robert Whitaker. So it seems as though all signs are pointing towards Robert Whitaker. All he has to do is say yes. And it seems as though he's not as excited as excited as you'd imagine to say yes. Um, but also, like I mentioned in the preview to this, now that Robert Whitaker has the win, it seems like if they are going to do that rematch, do that rematch, you have to do it in Australia or you have to do it in New Zealand and you have to do it in front of a giant crowd. And I don't know where Australia and New Zealand are at in terms of being able to bring back those types of crowds. Uh, so it really puts the UFC and the middleweight division in a weird spot where the fight that makes the most sense right now is the Robert Whitaker rematch. Whitaker isn't super crazy about it. I think from a business standpoint, the timing might not be perfect for it either. So it's going to be interesting to see what they want to do next with Adesanya, whether they move him up to light heavyweight for a quick fight and he fights John Jones, maybe he fights someone else at the light heavyweight division. Uh, sort of like when Anderson Silva jumped up and fought James Irwin, which was a fight that really didn't mean a whole lot, but it was still kind of like a nice fight for him to stay busy in the meantime. Um, maybe Adesanya gets his James Irwin type of fight. I don't know who that would be right now. Uh, if you're just trying to think of like some some big scary guy, maybe he fights Ian Kutalaba or something. I don't know if Kutalaba would be like the modern day James Irwin, but maybe that's the idea. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes forward. But by having Whitaker win and then not be committal about taking that rematch, it, it really puts that division in a weird spot right now. Uh, fight before that, we had Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris. Volkov was a more technical striker. Uh, I expected him to be able to win as long as he avoided the power of power of Harris. He did a good job of that. Uh, came in with a very interesting new back tattoo. We've seen the Stingray in the past. Looks like he covered that up and had like some weird demon slash samurai head on his back. Uh, not that really that not that that really affected the fight. Uh, but he was doing a good job of landing straighter punches than Harris was. Uh, and then in the second round, was able to land a really nice rear right um, teep to the body that hurt Harris and then had him hurt up against the fence was able to get the finish there. Uh, so big one for him, uh, for Harris. I mean, I guess he didn't really drop too far after losing to Overeem, so he's probably not going to drop too far after this loss either, but it seems as though he wasn't ever really quite at the level where he could hang with the guys who like in the top eight. Uh, and then those two recent losses sort of showed that. So for him, he goes back to the drawing board. Hopefully at this point he fights someone who's ranked a little bit lower than him and he can at least solidify that he is still a top 15 fighter. Uh, for Volkov, he's talking about fighting Rosenstrike next. That's a new a new matchup for him. Uh, could be a tough matchup, but it's definitely one I'd like to see, so hopefully he gets that. We had Philip Hawes versus Jake, 
Jacob Malkoon. Haas is a name that's been around for a while. As a guy who'd been training with John Jones, was one of his better training partners. Um, former junior college national wrestling champion. Had a chance on the Ultimate Fighter, or on, um, actually it might have been Ultimate Fighter. Either the Ultimate Fighter was the Contender Series, but either way, uh, it was on one of those shows and he didn't do very well. Uh, eventually was invited back and did well this time. Uh, so I guess to make his UFC debut, debut finally and looked fantastic against Malkoon. Um, just ran him, up, ran him up against the fence, was landing heavy shots both right, right and left, uh, dropped him, face planted him, and got the finish within 18 seconds. Uh, Lauren Murphy versus a replacement fighter in Lilia Shakarova rather than the fighter she was supposed to fight in Cynthia Calvillo. And Murphy just completely outmuscled her, was able to take her down, and got her naked choke in the second round. Uh, it seems like at this point the fight that makes sense is the fight who, that she's supposed to have in the first place, which is Calvillo. Uh, possibly the winner of that is in line for a title fight. You also have Andrade in the picture, so... It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And then we finally got that rematch between Akalaev and Kutalaba. It was pretty clear from the first fight that Akalaev was the more technical fighter. You figured that this fight would go in, in a similar fashion, and to an extent it did. Uh, Akalaev was able to land the straighter punches. Uh, hurt Kutalaba one time, uh, dropped him, then was able to hurt him again. I think he landed a uh, lead right hand first. Uh, and then as he sort of like bounced Kutalaba's head over towards, um, towards his left side, then landed a really hard left hand, dropped him. Um, and then pounded out on the mat. The ref, I, I guess, it's fair at this point after seeing the the first fight between the two. Was like, okay, Kutalaba, like we're not going to stop this one early. We'll 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 stop it when it has to be stopped. And as a result, Kutalaba's head gets bounced off the canvas a few more times, uh, gets knocked unconscious, and Uncle Ad gets the win. Uh, so he's a guy who's been looked at as a top contender or as a future top contender at lightweight or light heavyweight. Uh, with a win like this, definitely looked really good out there. And that was mostly just striking. We didn't really get to see his grappling. Uh, so for him, it'd be nice to see him fight against a top guy in the division, probably someone around the top five, whether that's going to be a Yuri Prochatska, uh or Alexander Rakic. Either of those fights would be pretty fun to watch. Uh, so hopefully he gets one of those guys next. On the prelims, we have Stefan Struve versus Tai Tuivasa. Struve did not look particularly good in this fight. Tai did a decent job at sort of wildly running at him, but getting him up against the fence. Uh, but was able to land some nice shots within the clinch. Eventually hurts him at the end of the round. Um, gets Struve to sort of cover up. Uh, ends up popping down and I guess for Struve one of the worst things for him and I'm not saying that this was an early stoppage here but one of the downsides of being that tall is that like if someone 5'7 gets knocked down it's not like as jarring to the eyes as when someone 7 feet gets knocked down like it just looks like such a high fall uh, so it seems like anytime Struve go down, goes down you just like assume that he, he's got to be out of it so he goes down and the ref jumps in pretty quickly uh, with one second left in the round but it did look like the finish there was appropriate uh, but Tui Vasa gets the win uh, does the traditional showy that he always does with some guys who apparently have like a decent following of like a few hundred thousand people. I don't remember what they're called, but apparently they were well known enough to get tickets to that event. And Tui Vasa had fun with them. Uh, there was Nathaniel Wood versus Casey Kenny, which was a fantastic fight at Bantamweight. Kenny, I figured, would be grappling a lot more in this fight than they ended up doing, but it ended up being more of a striking match. Uh, Wood was doing a pretty good job, especially early landing the leg kicks on Kenny. Uh, but Kenny was throwing a lot more wild with his, coming out of southpaw stance. Landed some really heavy shots that Wood was able to eat. Uh, just a really fun fight overall. I don't remember if this got fight of the night. Uh, I, I hope so. It, it definitely deserved it. Um, but it was a great fight to watch. But Kenny was able to edge it out here and wins the un unanimous decision. Uh, Alex Oliveira fought a UFC debutante in Shafkat Rachmanov. Uh, surprisingly, Rachmanov looked really good on the feet. Was able to hurt Oliveira. Got him up against the fence. Oliveira shoots a double leg. Uh, shot a few that he wasn't ever, ever able to close his hands on and get that close to finishing. Uh, but left his neck out there on one late in the round. Uh, got taken down. Didn't really do a great job of defending it. Uh, might have been too tight either way, but his defense wasn't the best and ends up getting tapped out there. And then the 
first fight on the regular prelims, not the early prelims, was Da Eun Jung versus Sam Alvey. Uh, this one went to a draw, which it, it was sort of hard to say. I didn't, I didn't get to see the whole fight. I got to saw, see the last round. It looked like Alvey was doing good at the end. Uh, from the sound of it, it sounded like Jung did pretty well in the first couple rounds, so it probably should have been two rounds to one. Uh, but maybe they had a 10-8 in there somewhere. Uh, but either way, um, ends up going to a split draw. Uh, so neither Alvey or Jung get the win there. On the early prelims, uh, we had Leona Jojua versus Miranda Maverick. I expected this fight to actually go to the ground, um, but for the most part, it was just on the feet, and Maverick was able to land a huge elbow that just busted open Jojua's nose, and the cut that was caused by that, even though it didn't break the nose, was enough for the doctor to stop it. Sort of odd in that usually if they're going to stop a fight for a cut, it's going to be a cut that's bleeding into the eyes that obviously was not bleeding into the eyes, uh, but maybe they felt like the cut was so bad that had they let the fight keep going, it would just keep getting bigger, bigger, and bigger, and there'd be some serious issues with it. I don't know what the thought process was, but they felt as though they had to stop it for that. And then in the first fight on the card, it was Joel Alvarez versus Alexander Yakovlev. Uh, Alvarez attacked with a few different submissions, but was able to just catch a regular armbar. Um, just swung his hips over from close guard, uh, made a couple of adjustments, and was able to get the finish against Alexander Yakovlev, so a pretty big win for him. Uh, so that covers it for UFC 254. Uh, the fight card that is coming up next week is going to be UFC Fight Night. Uh, I believe it's going to be 12, or UFC Vegas 12, UFC Apex 12. Uh, but it will be headlined by the retirement fight of Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall. Uh, obviously, Anderson Silva was referenced a lot earlier on earlier on in this podcast in just referencing his title run and how unbeatable he looked to where Khabib's at right now. Obviously, at this point, Anderson Silva is not looked at in the same way that he was in his prime. But with that being said, Uriah Hall definitely doesn't... His style isn't necessarily one to grapple with Silva. Um, it's just not as though he'd be looking to fight him in a similar way to Chris Weidman, but you would have to imagine he's going to be willing to strike with him and at this point. Anderson Silva's in his early to mid-40s. Uh, you'd figure that Hall's going to be the more athletic and the quicker fighter. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Now, with that being said, Silva is still an excellent counter-striker, even though he's a little bit slower than he had been in the past. He was just so far ahead of everyone else that like, even old Anderson Silva is still a dangerous Anderson Silva. When Adesanya fought him right before he eventually was able to capture the interim title, uh, showed a lot of respect for Silva. Silva had some moments where he landed some decent shots on Adesanya, uh, who's not easy to land on. Uh, we saw that with how much trouble Costa had in that fight. So as long as this fight stays on the feet, Silva's definitely going to be live there. Um, Kinnanir had brutal leg kicks and was able to just kind of stay at a distance and avoid too many punching exchanges and getting countered. That's where he found success. I don't know that I see Uriah Hall doing the same thing, where he's going to chop Silva down with leg kicks. So as long as this fight takes place... Um, within range where they could be where they could be boxing, it, it could potentially go up for Silva. I, I think favoring Uriah, Uriah Hall makes the most sense here. The odds makers are definitely favoring Uriah Hall, but depending on how he wants to approach this fight, this could definitely work in, in Silva's favor, especially if this fight gets into exchanges where they're throwing a lot of punches. Because Silva, even though he's not as fast as he used to be, is still very good about slipping his head out of the way um, and countering you with punches, uh, and he's got some decent kicks from a range as well. So. I'm interested to see it. If Silva wins, or if Silva loses this fight, it's, it's going to be unfortunate. But it's not as though this really takes anything away from him in my mind. Uh, I still remember him when he was at the at his peak, and remember how good he was then. Obviously, at this older age, after taking the damage he has in the past few years, where there's been the damage to his leg when he had his leg snap in half, the damage to his leg from the Cannoneer fight, obviously slowed down with time. He, he's just not at his best right now, but I, I still think Anderson Silva is such a high-level fighter that you're always going to want to see him fight when when he's in there. This is going to be the last opportunity we're going to have to see him. We know that going in, so even if this isn't going to be vintage Anderson that we're going to get, it, it's still worth watching. But I think there is a chance with this particular style matchup that we might actually get to see 
see some remnants of what Anderson Silva was at his peak, and I'm really excited to see it. In the coming event, we have Bryce Mitchell returning against Andre Feely. Um, Feely's not the easiest guy to take down in control, and for Mitchell, he's had a lot of success with that type of game plan where he's able to take guys down. Uh, he has very good grappling, um, very good guard passing, very good, good control from top. Once he gets your back, obviously he's dangerous with the twister. So it will be interesting to see if he's able to get into those positions with Feely. If not, uh, Feely's a really explosive striker and is very dangerous on the feet. So this could be a tough matchup for Mitchell. Honestly, I'm probably favoring Feely a little bit in this fight because I don't know that I see Bryce Mitchell being able to take him down and control him. But again, if he does get the takedown, what we've seen on the ground from Bryce Mitchell lately has been very impressive. So he's definitely capable of implementing that game against Feely. It's just I don't know if he's going to be able to get, get his entries and finish the takedowns on Feely. No, but it's going to be a good test for him. And we've got Mahmoud Miradov versus Kevin Holland. So we'll get to see how Kevin Holland returns. He's looked pretty good lately. And some of the guys he's beaten have looked pretty good lately as well, including Joaquin Buckley. Uh, Maurice Green will be fighting against Greg Hardy. Uh, so we got the return of Greg Hardy. I believe this was his first fight back since he broke his arm. Uh, I could be wrong about that. He might have actually had one more since that fight against Volkov. Uh, but either way, he's at 6-2 and two right now. He'll be fighting against Maurice Green, who had that bizarre fight against um, John Volante, where he had that just awful arm triangle off of his back uh, from bottom of half guard, and Volante seemed to just kind of quit on the fight there. Uh, then we've got Bobby Green versus Tiago Moises. Moises was just getting roughed up really badly by Michael Johnson in the first round. Uh, dives on his leg at the start of the second was actually able to catch an ankle lock uh, that Johnson didn't do a great job of defending. So it's a big name on his resume, but the, the process by which he got to it wasn't the most impressive thing ever. Uh, Bobby Green's a very difficult guy to take down and control. Uh, is, is better at fighting out, out of submissions than Michael Johnson is, so I think this fight is going to look fairly similar to the Michael Johnson fight, except uh, where he was able to catch Michael Johnson. I don't see him catching Bobby Green, and I think Bobby Green's going to run right through him. Uh, down in the prelims, we have a former top 15 lightweight in Alexander Hernandez fighting Chris Gritzmacher. Um, we got Adrian Yanez versus Aaron Phillips. Jack Marshman versus Sean Strickland, uh, who's been around for quite a while. 23 record, which still looks pretty good. I remember a time when he was only had like one loss or maybe even zero losses and thought he could be a lot better than he was, but just not being active definitely worked against him, and he fought some pretty tough guys and is now sort of hanging towards the lower end of the welterweight division. Uh, we got Cole Williams going against Jason Witt. Dustin Jacoby, I believe this is going to be his UFC return. Uh, after leaving the UFC, he had a pretty good run in glory. Uh, and kickboxing looked pretty good on the Contender Series, uh, just dominating a guy on the feet. Uh, he's got a fight against Justin Ledet. Oh, my God, that's going to be a fun fight. Uh, Ledet typically likes to stand up as well. Uh, came into the UFC and sort of touted himself as a pretty good boxer. Um, has had some pretty rough losses since then, but he definitely likes to, to stay on the feet and mix it up. And... If that's what he's going to do with, Justin, or with Dustin Jacoby, that's going to be a fun fight to watch. But with Jacoby being a minus 300 favorite, I think there's there's still value in putting money on Jacoby at that level. Uh, we got Courtney Casey versus Priscilla Cachoeira, uh, which is a decent fight in the women's division. Uh, Miles Johns versus Kevin Natividad. And Amir Albazi versus Zalgis Zumagulov. Uh, so that covers it for the upcoming card that will be coming up on Saturday. Uh, next thing to talk about is going to be that golf conversation with Khabib, Nurm with Khabib Nurmagomedov. So after the fight, he was saying that he wants to be ranked number one pound for pound. And I feel like I brought this up a bunch of times and I have to bring it up again. There were two separate conversations that are being had uh, when you talk about the greatest fighters of all time. So there's sort of like this conversation that's based around resume and then there's a conversation that's based around how good the actual fighter is. So to, illust to illustrate that point, I'm going to make up... Uh, Im imagine we're in this world where... It actually turns out that George St. Pierre has a clone, or he has a, a twin brother. Uh, we'll call him, I don't know, Jeff St. Pierre. And this Jeff St. Pierre has the exact same skill set as George St. Pierre. Uh, 
just as good a wrestler, just as good a striker. Uh, fights as well when the lights are on. He just he, he hasn't fought. Actually, you know what? He, he just did fight. He, he just took one fight. It was an amateur fight, uh, and he won in normal GSP style. And he's one to know. If you were to ask me who has had a better career, who has, who's had a greater career, Dan Hardy or Jeff St. Pierre, the answer is Dan Hardy, and it's a very easy answer. If you're going to ask me who the better fighter is, Dan Hardy or Jeff St. Pierre, the answer would be Jeff St. Pierre. It's just that this particular Jeff St. Pierre that I've made up hasn't actually fought Dan Hardy, but at least like on a skill to skill level, we know that Jeff St. Pierre would win that fight. So when you're talking about like all-time greats and you're talking about like who's had the greatest career and you start talking about resume, you're sort of asking the the first question, which is like who's had a better career, Dan Hardy or Jeff St. Pierre, where Dan Hardy is the answer. But if you're asking the second question where it's like who is actually the better fighter, that's where it gets a little bit trickier. So the, fir- the first conversation of who's had a better career, Khabib Nurmagomedov is not number one in that conversation. And that's uh, unfortunately to an, to an extent before he fought Conor McGregor, he didn't have the biggest name. He didn't have the most exciting style to a lot of people. So the UFC didn't put him in there against the best guys right away. Uh, so it's not as though he had the opportunity to fight some of the best guys. But for the most part, uh, I think he's got four UFC champions who he's beaten. So he's beaten RDA. He's beaten Conor, uh, Gaethje, who's an interim champion. And then also Dustin Poirier, who's an interim champion. You look at some other guys who would be in that conversation. John Jones, for one. Jones, there was a time at light heavyweight when it was considered a super deep division that you had Chuck Liddell sort of hanging around still. Uh, but there was like this group of four where you had Rampage Jackson, you had Rashad Evans, you had Leo Machida, and you had Shogun Hua. Where it's like all these four killers, all four championship level that were all just hovering around the top of the division. And then John Jones just like slides in there and just destroys all of them. People kind of forget how shocking that was at the time. And this was early in John Jones's career, but that that was something that happened. And that's sort of like at the point where Khabib's sort of at right now, where there's some guys who are hovering the top, around the top of the lightweight division, and Khabib just comes in and gets right through all of them. Jones also had that moment in his career, but then he just like ran through a bunch of guys after then as well. So on paper, I, I just don't see an argument to make that Khabib is number one on paper based off of his resume. Uh, John Jones is ahead of him. There are people who would say you take out John Jones, you take out um, you take out Anderson Silva as well because they failed drug tests. But even still, I would still put GSP ahead of Khabib on paper. So the on paper discussion, Khabib is not number one. The second discussion, which would be like, okay, well, let's imagine, sort of like that pound-for-pound idea where it's like, let's imagine that a 205-pound Khabib fights against uh, 205-pound John Jones or 155-pound John Jones fights against 155-pound Khabib. And then you sort of like rank it that way. Where do I think Khabib fits into that? That's where it gets a a heck of a lot trickier. Uh, John Jones lately hasn't looked at his best. And again, if I I think if you're going to argue someone should be ahead of Khabib, John Jones definitely deserves to be talked at as the top guy to look at. If you think that the drug test disqualifies him, then take him out of there. And I think there's a decent case to be made that Khabib's number one outside of GSP. I guess I'll... I, I could get into that a little bit more, but that's one of those ones where it's like, I just really want to see that fight because that matchup is just fascinating to me because I haven't seen Khabib fight a guy who would fight him in the same way that GSP fights him. We know that GSP is very effective at taking guys down, even if on paper he's not supposed to. Uh, whether it's a guy like Johnny Hendricks, he was able, who he was able to take down a couple times in their fight. Uh, a guy in Josh Koscheck, who was a former Division One national champion that GSP was able to take down. We know he's capable of doing that against high-level wrestlers, so you would think, in, in theory, Prime GSP might be able to do the same thing to Khabib. But that being said, Khabib, we've seen what he does to high-level wrestlers, too, including just now with Justin Gage. But you always have those gym stories of what he would do to Ed Ruth or do some other guys who were, were great NCAA wrestlers as well. So that's one of those zones where it's like it's just tough to argue either way who the better fighter is between those two. Um better striking you'd probably have to give to GSP. Uh, 
better jujitsu, that is a lot trickier. I'd I'd probably argue Khabib. They both are pretty good at passing guard and both are controlled by a different city. I think Khabib probably has a better jujitsu of the two. Uh, so ranking those two against each other, if you make want to make an argument either way, I, I could hear it. It's just... I just have such a hard time of imagining what a fight between Khabib and what a prime GSP would look like just because of how effective GSP was at playing his game. And I, I could see GSP just jabbing Khabib to death and then shooting a double leg and controlling and staying out of submissions like he did with everyone else. Um, but you could also see Khabib doing to GSP what he's done to everyone else too. It's just... I'm, I'm completely stumped on it, and that's why if they had that fight, again, even if Khabib gets the win and you, you can make the argument, well, this isn't prime GSP, just, just being able to see that and see some form of GSP fight against Khabib, it would be so interesting to see, and I, I hope it does happen at some point, because it would make that a conversation a little bit easier to have. But right now, between the clean guys, that's that's really where it would be at for number one. Uh, overall, assuming that you're taking out this, the guys who were on steroids, uh, if you're going to put the guys who were on steroids in, does Anderson Silva slide ahead of Khabib? Again, Anderson Silva had his time, like I was mentioning, where everyone was afraid of him, and he was just gassing everyone at 185. With that being said, style matchup... 185 pound prime Kobe versus 185 pound prime um, Anderson Silva, that could be probably wins that fight. Uh, Anderson Silva was taken down by some some guys early in his career. Um, I, I could see Kobe being able to land a takedown before he gets knocked down. Uh, if he takes him down, just the kind of control he has on top. Granted, Anderson Silva probably does get back up a couple times because because of the end of the different rounds. Um, but with that being said, I, I think Kobe probably should slide ahead of him, even if you're not taking Anderson Silva out for steroids, and then John Jones would be the last guy there. Um, so again, if you take John Jones out for steroids, then I would have like Khabib and GSP sort of be like one A. I guess I wouldn't even say one A one B. I would just kind of have them tie for number one. Um, but if John Jones is allowed to be a part of that conversation, it, it, it's tough for me because John Jones is a better striker than Khabib. John Jones has very good wrestling. We haven't really seen him take him down much. Even when Daniel Cormier took him down, it was like for a very brief moment, Jones popped up immediately. Um, so being able to see Khabib take him down, like I guess Gustafson was able to take him down as well because there was like no expectation on John Jones's part that Gustafson was going to shoot for a takedown and he was able to catch him there. Um, but even still, like Jones is decent off of his back. He's willing to fight from his guard. He has decent triangles that he's able to throw up. If he does get taken down by Khabib, does he turtle up and then does it look like the Justin Gaethje fight where he gives up his back and then all of a sudden ends up like in a really shit situation? Uh, or does he try to fight off his back like what people expected out of the Tony Ferguson fight? I, I think that could be interesting as well. Um, Jiu-jitsu-wise, John Jones, his technique is not at the same level as Khabib Nurmagomedov, but he has been very effective on the ground. Uh, he was able to Kamara Vitor Belfort, uh, had that flying triangle against um, I'm trying to think of it was. I guess Rampage Jackson, even though it was at the end of the round, he ran out of time. He actually, had he wanted to go for that early, he might have actually been able to finish Rampage Jackson by flying triangle, which is crazy to think about. Um, but we actually have seen some pretty good jujitsu from him in the past. He choked out Leota Machida with a standing guillotine. So his, his jujitsu has been pretty effective. If the two are going to be matched up against each other, I would see John Jones trying to pick him apart from range. I would see him trying to throw a lot of those like kicks to sort of stun the forward movement of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Would Khabib be able to catch it and shoot him for a takedown and take him down like he did against Gaethje? I don't know if he'd have that level of success. It seems like a lot of guys would have liked to have done that against Gaethje, or against uh, John Jones, but haven't been successful. Uh, it just seems like that oblique kick to the knee just really catches a lot of, a lot of guys off guard, so I could see Jones doing that and winning rounds with it. Uh, if he is able to start racking up some round wins um, just by picking him apart with leg kicks like he has a lot of his recent opponents, 
is Khabib able to actually take him down and finish him? I don't know. I, I feel like that's a tougher fight to call. I know with this being such a great moment for Khabib, it's his moment where he retires. It's a really emotional moment where he's coming off of the win over, or he's coming off of the win after his dad passed away. That people want to just like give him all the credit and give him everything he's asking for. But if we're being realistic here, you, you can't let that that sort of emotion behind. Oh God, I'm so thankful for Khabib. I'm so thankful I got to watch him fight. Um, I'm so happy that he got this win after his dad passed away. If you're trying to have this conversation without emotion, and, and you take it out, I, I really do think that there's a good argument to be made that John Jones, assuming that you're going to allow him to be in the conversation, should, should still be ahead of Khabib. I think I'd have to lean that way a little bit, so I would have John Jones as number one. But again, if if you feel as though failing drug tests is enough to take you out, um, or if you feel as though the recent fights that we've seen from Jones should take him out, I I can see that argument. But again. We're looking at Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's sort of like in that period of Jones' career where Jones had just like choked out Lyoto Machida, and Khabib hasn't didn't have to fight a bunch of different number one contenders since then who have all been watching it for years and all have been making different strategies to beat him. And so we're not seeing Khabib look as bad as John Jones is looking right now for that very reason. So I, I still think John Jones probably has a better case than Khabib, assuming you aren't going to take the drug test away from him. And for that reason, I would still have him be number one, but Khabib really did do a good job in the last few fights of of shooting his way up the rankings and being in the, to the point where I'm having a hard time arguing whether or not he is number one overall, so he deserves credit for that. Next topic is going to be a few different fights that were announced. So we have Hamzat Chumaya versus Leon Edwards. Uh, it seemed like it was taking a while for Chumaya to get a fight. Uh, there was one ranked guy who seemed to be calling him out, which was Neil Magny. I'm not sure where that fight was never made, but... In the meantime, Leon Edwards was giving the UFC a hard time about taking different fights, didn't want to take a fight against Stephen Thompson. Uh, apparently Thompson was ranked too low, um, but then the UFC was like, okay, well, you've been inactive, we're going to take you take your ranking away, and right away he's like, okay, fine, I'll fight someone uh, who's also unranked. Um, so he fights Hamza Chimaev. Now I think right after accepting that fight, he got his ranking right back. So he's still a top five fighter at, at welterweight, but now he is going to be fighting Hamza in a main event in December. This is a... Uh a really interesting fight because the last time that he fought against a guy who was a really hell of a wrestler it was Kamaru Usman and Usman was able to implement that game plan on him and was able to beat him uh, so I guess if he does get a win over Chemayev and looks really good doing it then that really makes a great case for him deserving a shot against Kamaru Usman next um, this fight will be in December I don't know if the UFC is going to have the welterweight title fight booked after that but even if they do it's probably going to be Gilbert Burns and at that point uh, it's going to be up in the air for who's next there's still the talk about Colby for fighting or Colby versus Masvidal it kind of feels like to me that fight, like Dana White really wants that fight. It seems like Colby wants that fight. It seems like Masvidal is open to that fight. I almost kind of wonder, like, if the reason why that fight hasn't been announced yet is because they're both like really big Trump supporters, and they're just like, hey, let's let's let the election get get over. Uh, let Colby campaign with Trump. Let <laughs> let Masvidal campaign with Trump, and then once this is all over, then they can like start fighting against each other. Maybe maybe that's why those two have been so silent because it did seem like that fight was like on the verge of being made. So maybe that's the idea is that they're gonna have those two guys fight each other. Uh, and depending on how that goes, if either of them wins in really dominant fashion, maybe they get a title fight right away and they, they jump the winner of this Leon versus Hamza fight. Uh, but if those two are busy and that fight is happening later on in the year, and we can get Gilbert Burns versus Kamar Usman early in the year, the timing might work out where the winner of this fight ends up jumping into a title fight, which would be crazy if Hamza gets the win here and his only win over a ranked guy is Leon Edwards and all of a sudden he's fighting for a title. But it seems like the UFC is that high on him and that's a possibility. Uh, another fight that was announced is RDA versus... Islam Makachev. This fight should have happened yesterday. It was scheduled to happen yesterday, and then like three weeks ahead, uh, RDA tests positive for COVID. We saw a lot of other people who were in much worse shape than RDA get over COVID much quicker. 
Um, I would imagine that RDA did not have COVID yesterday. I would imagine he was negative, but the UFC or the um, governing commission felt as though they had to take extra precautions, so they took RDA out of the fight. Michael Chandler didn't want to step in against Makachev, and so Makachev didn't get to fight, but he will be getting to fight in, I believe, mid-November, I think November 14th. Uh, this fight's being rescheduled, so that'll be fun to watch for. Now that Khabib's out of the picture, I think there's a lot of expectation from AKA that Makachev is going to fill in his shoes, even though he wasn't one of the six people I just mentioned as a top contender at lightweight. Uh, if he gets a win over RDA, I think at that point some of the top guys are going to have to start fighting him. And his skill set in some ways is pretty similar to Khabib. He's got excellent wrestling, um, very good grappling on the ground. Um, not to the same level as Khabib, especially not from top, but he still has a lot of similarities. He's worked with Khabib for years and in theory could be the heir apparent, but he's going to have to get a pretty good win over RDA to, to really start the process of getting to that point. Uh, and then the other fight that was worth mentioning we have is going to be Rob Font versus Marlon Marais. So Marais just had a loss to Corey Sandhagen by knockout and surprisingly he's going to be getting back in there pretty quickly. I think this is going to be either in January or right before the end of the year, but he'll be fighting against Rob Font. Uh, who's also a pretty good boxer and really good striker, so this fight will probably be on the feet for the most part. Uh, but a really fun bantamweight fight to to watch for. Next topic to talk about is going to be Bellator 250. Uh, so I'll just run through a few fights on this card. Really, the main event is the big one to watch for, and that's going to be the fight between Gegard Musasi and Douglas Lima. Musasi is the 185-pound champion. Douglas Lima, the 170-pound champion. Both have been very dominant at their weights. Uh, so we're going to get to see these guys fight each other, with Lima having a chance to be the double champion, uh, Musasi having a, a chance to knock off a pretty decent name here, and Douglas Lima, even if he is coming down a weight class or coming up a weight class, uh, but Lima's a really big welterweight in, in, in the first place. So it's not as though Musasi is going to be significantly larger than him. I, I wouldn't think, but this will still be a really fun fight to watch. I'd imagine a lot of it's going to be on the feet. Um, both of them are excellent strikers. If it does go to the ground, um, it'll be interesting to see how these two match up against each other. Uh, fight before that would be Henry Corrales versus Brandon Gertz, which I believe is in their 145-pound tournament. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I believe so. Uh, but then they also got a few other fights. They got Peter Ortega versus Desiree Yaniz, um, Bobby Volker versus Saba Hamasi. I believe both of those guys fought in the UFC at one point or another. I know Volker did. I think Hamasi did as well. Uh, Nick Newell is going to, make, going to be making his return. Um, is there any other names that are worth mentioning? Jake Hager will be returning. Adam Boric will be on the card. So they got some decent guys. Jared Scoggins, the brother of Justin Scoggins. Uh, so not a bad card at all. Uh, but that'll be happening on Thursday at 7 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock Eastern. And then the last thing to talk about is a few different things in wrestling. So first off, the USA Wrestling decided that they are not going to be going to the World Championships and did an absolute awful job in explaining this. Uh, so they made it sound as though a lot of their top athletes just didn't want to go, so they made the decision as a whole not to go. Now, I think as a whole this is just a ridiculous idea in the first place. Wrestling is an, is an individual sport. Tennis is an individual sport. Golf is an individual sport. I could not imagine any possible world where the USTA would decide, you know what, we've heard, talked to a few different athletes. Uh, they don't seem to want to go. So you know what, Serena Williams, you're not allowed to go to Wimbledon. Um, Venus Williams, you're not going to the French Open. Um, Australian Open, you, you know what, we're, we're just not going to take... Um, just think of any other American superstar. I guess on the men's side, they're sort of lacking on that end. Uh, Fred, or uh, Francis Tiafo. I don't know that people would be super duper upset if Tiafo didn't go, but <laughs> you, you get the point. Or in golf, they're like, you know, we're not taking Tiger Woods to the British Open. Like, I, I just could not imagine something like this happening in any other sport. But for whatever reason in wrestling, like the USA Wrestling has the ability to say, you know what, Kyle Dake, you're not going to Serbia for the for the wrestling world championships. Yanni Jakmahalis, you're not going to Serbia. It's insane to me. Like, I, I don't understand why they 
have that power in the first place. It doesn't do anything good for the sport as a whole. They do have the power, and not only do they have the power, but they're actually flexing it here. It's not helpful for USA Wrestling at all. Um, ben Askren did a great job of just ripping into them over this. He was saying, look, you guys are doing some domestic tournaments right now that are in areas that have much worse COVID numbers than Serbia does right now. There's no numbers that make sense to explain why you're doing what you're doing right now. Uh, you, you just think that you're doing something beneficial, but in reality, the numbers don't back it up. And so I think he was right to really rip into them for it. Um, it doesn't seem like they're going to go back on it at this point. I think the USA is just not going to send a, a team to the World Championships this year, so you're going to have a lot of guys who are in the wrestling prime right now uh, who would be ready to compete for a World Championship who just aren't going to get the opportunity because the governing body didn't let them. And that's just absolutely ridiculous, but wrestling still can't stop shooting itself in the foot, and this is just an, another example of it. It just isn't smart at all. Uh, last thing to talk about with wrestling is in the state of Michigan, thankfully they're allowing the high school wrestling to go on, um, but because the people who are making these decisions seem to be freaking terrorists, I don't know what the hell their issues are, they had to feel like they did something to make it seem like they were actually like doing their job. So they decided, you know what, we'll let you wrestle, but you have to practice and compete with masks on. There is literally, I, I cannot imagine, like there just isn't any science that I can possibly see that explains why it's safe to wrestle someone, to be sweaty with them, to just grapple with them for seven freaking minutes, be in close proximity, be breathing heavily, um, be touching them, doing all that, and that's not going to do anything to pass the virus on. But you, you take the mask off, and all of a sudden now there's a big risk. Like, I just don't see any possible science behind it. It just, it's basically theater at this point. It doesn't do anything to help. It, it's ridiculous for these kids that they're going to have to do that. And I, I, I mean, I guess good enough for them that they're going to be able to get a season. But there's no reason they should have to wrestle with masks on. I don't know if they're going to make rules like, are you not allowed to grab your opponent's mask? Uh, is that like a point penalty? If you take your mask off, are you going to get penalized? Like, it, it's just absolutely stupid. But a lot of a lot of people in charge are, are just absolutely stupid. I think leading before this year happened, I think a lot of times people would assume, okay, well, it doesn't really matter who my mayor is. It doesn't matter who my governor is. It doesn't matter who's in charge of the school. Like everything will just be fine. And now we're really finding that a lot of people, when given the power to to make some ridiculous decisions, um, they'll they'll do it and. I, I just really feel bad for the wrestlers in Michigan who are going to have to deal with this shit, but that's that's what the plan is right now. Hopefully enough people make a big, a big enough stink about it and we see other people wrestling around the country not wearing masks and there not being outbreaks where you're having young kids dying of it, which hasn't been the case to this point anyway. And maybe they just decide, okay, fine, we're we're not going to be re retarded and we're going to take this mask thing off, but in the meantime, that's what they're doing. So I figured it was crazy enough that it was worth mentioning. So that covers it for this week. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if... If we get anything new on the lightweight division in the next coming week, I don't know if Khabib's going to finalize his retirement to where that title officially is vacated uh, and he pulls himself out of the USADA testing pool. Uh, if the UFC starts talking, if Dana starts talking about who he thinks specifically should be getting the next title fight. Uh, so there could be a lot of stories, especially around the lightweight division. I'm sure there'll be some other stories to come up in the meantime. Obviously, we've got a few good fights, both of the Anderson Silva retirement fight and then also the Musasi versus Lima fight. Uh, so there should be plenty to talk about next week, but. Obviously, there was a lot to get to this week, especially with Khabib Nurmagomedov winning in what could potentially be his final fight, assuming he doesn't come back and keep his word to his mom and nothing comes up where he feels as though it's worth coming back to. Because I think for him, the money he's made at this point, financially he'll be fine. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not something motivates him beyond money to come back. So we'll have to see. Um, but look forward to whatever comes up in the coming week, and I'll be sure to talk about it.